from the dead. Amen. That's Easter, my friends. You're looking beautiful today. That's Easter. There's chocolate in the baskets. That's Easter. There's Easter bunnies. That's Easter. But my friend, Resurrection Sunday is Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. For many, the pinnacle or the high point of Jesus' life on earth is the cross. We have the cross depicted here behind me this morning. The cross is the place of public ridicule, where Jesus was humiliated, where there was much pain, suffering, and then the final death of Jesus Christ. The cross reminds us of a great price. Jesus gave his all. He gave his all physically. He gave it all emotionally. He gave it all psychologically. And he gave it all mentally. That was the price that had to be paid. And Jesus indeed paid that price. The cross reminds us of that price. And we're really glad today for the cross For that's the way our sins, as we've heard this morning, have been taken or washed away. It's the cross. Yet, my friends, today, if Jesus Christ only died and was buried, then he would be like other proclaimed saviors, like Buddha, born in Nagal in 6 B.C. and died in India in 300 B.C., and today... His tomb holds his remains. Like L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, cremated and his ashes scattered in the Pacific Ocean. Today, my friends, his ashes remain in the Pacific Ocean. Or Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, died and buried in Nauvoo, Illinois, in 1844, in a public cemetery. And today, the tomb holds his remains. Or Muhammad, the founder of Islam, buried in the mosque of the prophet in Medina, Saudi Arabia. Today, the tomb holds his remains. And like these... Jesus could not be the savior of the world if the cross was the end. Yet, Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. But Jesus, founder of Christianity, died by crucifixion and was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, near 34 to 36 A.D., and today, his tomb is empty, is empty. How is it today that we know 
that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. How do we know that? Let's read Matthew 28, verses 1 through 8. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. How is it that we know that Jesus Christ indeed was risen from the dead? First of all, there were no soldiers there. As the women approached the tomb on that early morning hour, something was missing. The soldiers were missing. You see, this was unusual because guards were stationed there for three days after the death of Jesus at his tomb. Why? Jesus had claimed that he would rise from the dead, and the Jewish authorities wanted to make sure that if his body was missing, that the disciples would not claim that Jesus had risen from the dead, and so the Roman officials authorized guards to stand. Now, maybe you've seen this depicted in a movie, one or two. Not so. Roman guards that were placed there were usually 16 soldiers strong, four side by side facing the tomb, and 12 in a semicircle behind them, and every four hours they rotated out. How many of you have been to the tomb of the unknown soldier in Washington, D.C.? A wonderful thing to behold, the changing of the guard there. And at Jesus' tomb for three days, a a platoon or a group of 16 soldiers were assigned to keep guard, to keep watch. The scripture says in verse 4, if you look there, when the women came, they found the guards, and they were like dead men, taken back slain by the appearance of the angel of the Lord and therefore really unaware of what had happened there that Jesus Christ was supernaturally raised from the dead. His body had not been stolen or taken. He was alive. The soldiers bear witness that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. The stone bears witness that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. You see, after Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, it was customary for a granite stone to be placed in front of a tomb to, first of all, protect the body from animals, and then also 
to give dignity to the one that is buried there. It was sealed. The opening of the tomb is usually four and a half to five feet wide. So a granite stone that would be rolled into that place to seal the tomb would probably be one and a half to two tons, taking about 20 men to move it. In John's account of the resurrection, he says that the, to- that the stone was not rolled away, but that the stone was taken away, which means to pick something up and to carry it away. Jesus Christ, my friend, was supernaturally resurrected from the dead. I mentioned that verse in our prayer time, that the same power that was God's power that raised up Jesus from the dead. You see, Jesus did not rise on his own. It was the power of God in the tomb that morning that raised Jesus to life. The stone tells of Jesus' resurrection. The body also tells of Jesus' resurrection. Turn over with me, if you will, to John chapter 20. The body of Jesus tells us of his resurrection in John chapter 20, verses 5 through 7. I love that sound. In verse 5, he, John, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Jesus' body was not there, yet the linen that he had been wrapped in remained. Those that were buried in this time period were done so in a mummy-like fashion. And as the women dressed Jesus' body and they wrapped his body, every time they wrapped his body, they would place spices within the wrap. And so Jesus was not covered by a cloth. He was wrapped in a linen cloth. And my friend, if the body of Jesus was stolen, the thieves would have not left the cloth. My friends, if Jesus would have swooned on the cross and not died on the cross, I don't think he would have left the wrapping there. In fact, in verse 7, it says the handkerchief or the napkin was folded together and left there. This tells us, my friends, that Jesus Christ supernaturally was resurrected from the dead, leaving his grave clothes behind. He is risen. He is risen. The sightings of Jesus also give testimony to his resurrection on that day. You see, people witnessed Jesus. People saw Jesus. People ate with Jesus. People spoke with Jesus, and Jesus spoke with them. One of the most profound encounters 
of Jesus' resurrection was with the disciple Thomas. After Thomas had heard that Jesus had risen from the dead from the other disciples, he says, unless I see this with my eyes, and I see his hands, and I see the print of the nail there, and I'm able to put my hand in his side, I won't believe. This is fascinating because John records that in eight days, Jesus comes to where Thomas is and he says some words. And we don't know from the text whether the disciples informed Jesus of what Thomas said or not. But nevertheless, Jesus says, Thomas, come. Reach your finger in here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and Put your hand in my side. And so Thomas, by faith, reaches out and he says, My Lord, my God, as he touches the wounds of Jesus. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. People saw it. People witnessed it. Thomas touched him with his own hands. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that over 500 people saw Jesus at the same time. You know, some skeptics have said, some atheists have said that it was probably the fact that the disciples were so distraught that they had what's called grief hallucination. They wanted so badly for the cross not to be so. They wanted so badly for the tomb not to be so. They wanted so badly to have Jesus back with them. They were grieving so deeply for what had taken place that their imagination took them to a visualization of Jesus. How do you get 500 people to hallucinate the same thing at the same time? I don't think if we had a psychologist or a psychiatrist here this morning, they could tell us because it's impossible. Jesus Christ was seen by over 500 people at the same time. I think of his half-brother James. And if you know about his life, you know that as a half-brother, he was very, very skeptical and unbelieving that Jesus, his half-brother, was the Son of God. And yet he records in the first sentence of his epistle, the epistle of James, he calls Jesus Christ his Lord. He says that he's a bond servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. He was a leader of the early church. He was marked. He was set apart. People knew he was not only the half-brother of Jesus, but he was a follower of Jesus. And because because he was... He died a death of stoning. My friends, most of the disciples, with the exception of the Apostle John, died a horrific death because of naming the name of Jesus. Because of following the name of Jesus. Do you give your life for something that you have not given your life for? Do you give your life for a lie, for a ghost, for an image, for a hallucination. No, my friend, you give your life for not just something that you believe, but something that's a fact. Thus, James and the other disciples 
died deaths because of naming that name of Jesus. I know that in this room there are many people that spiritually have seen Jesus. I know that in this room, because of the worship that I heard this morning, that there are people in this room that know that Jesus Christ is risen. They have seen, I have seen, you have seen the work of Jesus Christ in your life. You are a witness, you are a testimony that Jesus Christ is alive today. Why? Because it's a historical fact, you bet. Because the word of God teaches it, you bet. But more importantly, in this point, because he lives within my heart, in your heart. I love this old song. I'm going to share a few words of it with you this morning. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. In just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how. I know he lives. Say it with me. He lives within my heart. Thank you to all those who are over the age of 50 that can say that. So what does this mean to you and me today? What impact should the resurrection have on us today? Something that happened so long ago, so far away, for some in our world today, such so removed. It's just in the distant by and by. Let me just tell you this morning, The the resurrection can have power in your life today because, first of all, the resurrection erases your past. The resurrection of Jesus Christ affects your past because of what Jesus did on the cross. The blood that was spilt, the suffering he endured, the brutality, the mockery, the thorns, the spear, the nails... Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the blood that he shed, the resurrection can affect your past. It can wipe it out. Wipe it clean. Cleanse it from you. Eradicate and take your sin in in fact as far away, the scripture says, As the east is from the west, so has the Lord removed your sins, your transgressions from you. What effect does the resurrection have in your life today? It can have a lot of effect. What can wash away sin? Good works? Being a better person? Getting educated? Making a lot of money? What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How are you going to deal with your past? What's gone on in your past? The failures and sins of your past. 
I recommend to you today the only answer, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It deals with our past. The resurrection also not only affects our past or erases our past, but it affects our present. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have life. Life eternally, but abundant life now. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ provides power for living this life in his energy, in his strength, in his wisdom, in his discernment, with his help. We don't live, my friends, as believers alone. The Spirit of God lives within us, and the power of the resurrected Jesus lives within us, and he lives his life through us. Are you allowing the resurrected Christ's presence to affect your life now? And finally, what does the resurrection mean to us today? It secures and establishes our future. What does the future hold for you? Before the grave and after the grave, do you know? Do you know when you draw your last breath what your future holds? The scripture says we have an appointment, an appointment we're going to have to keep. And it's an appointment with the last breath that we take on this earth. And we don't know when that appointment is. I don't know when my appointment is, and you don't know when your appointment is. We cannot know the day of the appointment, but we can be ready for the appointment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he overcame the grave, so do you. Because he overcame the grave, so do I. The grave no longer holds a permanent resting place for the believer. The grave is only a transitional place. Let me say as an encouragement to those of you that have laid to rest someone that you love deeply, that, that is in Christ, they are only temporarily there. Death is only a doorway into the presence of God eternally. The grave that Jesus came out of that day establishes our future. His resurrection power can cause us to be ready for what this future holds for us. The resurrection. Historical fact? Yes. Spiritual fact? That's up to you, my friend. For Jesus has asked, Jesus has told us, that to have security for the future means receiving him and his personal gift to us. His cross. His empty tomb his life within us. Let's pray. As we bow our heads in prayer, Lord, we thank you today, Lord, that you have come from the tomb alive victorious. You have stamped out death. You have dealt with hell, and you have overcome the grave. We thank you, God, for what you have done in raising your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the dead. Because he lives, we live also. Praise your name.
But that life, Lord, is to be personally received, personally accepted. Lord, we can't buy it. We can't be good enough. We can't come to church enough times. We can't inherit it from our parents. Lord, the personal relationship that you have for us must be taken personally. And Lord, today I pray that in Jesus' name, that you, Lord, would touch the hearts of those this morning who need to personally say, I need Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection in my life. I need the effects of sin to be dealt with in my life. I need the life that Jesus Christ provides in overcoming the grave. I need that life for me. I don't need religion. I need life. I don't need to be good enough. I need life. My friend, that life comes by personally accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm just going to ask this morning a simple question. Do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would like to do that, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, tugging at your heart, maybe your heart's beating a little quicker than it normally does, my friend, that's the Lord by his Spirit. He's, he's talking to you. He's inviting you to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It happens personally. You may say, Pastor Cindy, I want to come into that relationship with Jesus Christ today. If you would like to do that, would you just lift your hand? Just lift your hand. I would like to come in to a relationship with Jesus Christ today on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. I want to know him. I don't want to just know about him. I just don't want to read about him. I just don't want to talk to people who know him. I want to know him. I want to accept him. I want to receive him. Is there anyone here this morning that would like for this Resurrection Sunday to be the first day of the rest of your life in knowing Jesus? Just lift your hand this morning. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you so much for your honesty this morning. Anyone else this morning? I want to receive Jesus Christ personally. I want to know him personally. Anyone else this morning? Congregation, I'm going to ask if you'll pray this prayer along with me so that we can encourage the man who's lifted his hand this morning. Dear Lord, thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for coming from the dead. Thank you for spilling your life on the cross. You are the Son of God. I believe. I open up my heart. I open up my life. And I ask you to come in, to take away my sin, to give me power to live this life, and to give me eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me. You are my Savior, and you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Choir, I'm going to ask you to come, if you will. They're going to close our service this morning, and as they're coming, 
The resurrection of Jesus is not the end of the story. He walked and talked with men. He taught. He ate. He fellowshiped. He let his followers see the nails in his hands, the scars that were there. He let his followers see the the nail prints in his feet, his side. He talked to them about many things, but one day he went to a hillside, and while he was speaking there, he was caught up. He ascended into heaven, and as he was ascending into heaven, an angel came and said these words to those that were looking on. The angel said, this same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Church, let me remind you today, Jesus Christ is returning Jesus Christ is coming back for you and for me. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us these words, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be forever with the Lord. 